thankful to be in your presence today. Lord, we are thankful that we can be here today. There are many that we love and care about who are sick or not feeling well or have other issues and they're not able to join us today, Lord, but we are, we are fortunate to be able to be in this place. And you've brought us here for a reason. Lord, we ask that you remove any distractions, any chains, any barriers, anything that is between us and you. Lord, we want to hear straight from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing together this morning?
this time of desperation. week for the first time. Um, I like to just look at the words. Can we go, uh, let me read the, the verses in the chorus here. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. 
I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb, the entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still, and all alone. And of course, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God, oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise, O Lord, O Lord, our God. And it continues in verse 3, it says, Then on the third at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. O trample death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. Let's sing that together today. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound, his body bound, Drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still, and all alone. Oh, praise the Praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore. For endless days we will sing Your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Then on the third at break of dawn the Son of Heaven rose again oh trample death where is your sting the angels for Christ the Praise the name of the Lord our 
around and greet someone around you in the name of Jesus. dark with light 
Only by the blood are we set free. With mercy strong to carry shame and nail it to a tree. You alone hold the power to redeem. No guilt competes within us and crucified. No grave can hold what your grace has justified with breath that brings the dead to life with words that pierce the dark with light only by the blood are we set free with mercy strong to carry shame and nail it to a tree you alone hold the power to redeem rejoice O child of God lift your eyes to see with every morning light again we are redeemed rejoice O child of God lift your eyes to see with light only by the blood are we set free with mercy strong to carry shame and nail it to a tree you alone hold the power to redeem oh you alone hold the power to redeem oh you alone Hold the power to redeem. Well, thank you again for reminding us that uh, salvation is found in Jesus alone. A couple notes to uh, remind you of. Um, Melissa Lebo, we were praying for her. She was supposed to have a procedure coming up uh, sometime in March, but uh, they did it ahead of time, and she had it this past Friday. And uh, the results were good, and she's on her way to recovery. Uh, she's actually back in the nursery now watching children, uh, so that's a good thing. So keep praying for her uh, that she would keep getting stronger and stronger. Good to have Sarah. 
uh, with us this morning on the organ. Uh, welcome back. And I also have a note from Dorothea Lebo, and uh, it's good to have Dorothea with us this morning as well. Uh, dear Pastor Bob and church family, once again, I want to thank everyone uh, for their cards, notes of encouragement, fruit basket, and most of all, for your prayers for my knee replacement and the complications that followed. The infection in my leg has cleared up for the most part. The ulcer in my small intestines caused by the anti-inflammatory meds, the full-dose aspirin, and some other meds is still in the healing process. Uh, because of the ulcer and elevated liver enzymes, uh, I'm not permitted to take any pain meds, not even Tylenol. Uh, some days my pain level is extremely high, and especially after physical therapy, but I know that this too will pass. Again, thank everyone, thank you everyone, and please continue to remember me in your prayers. I've seen numerous times how prayer changes things, especially uh, these last few weeks. In Christ Jesus, Dorothea. So thank you, Dorothea, for your note, and uh, we will continue to pray uh, for you. So Father, as we come before your throne once again, we thank you that uh, you have been working Lord, we thank you that uh, you do answer prayer and that, Father, prayer does change things. We're thankful, Lord, that uh, you hear us, uh, you listen to what we have to say in prayer. Uh, Father, and according to your will, uh, Father, you work. Uh, Father, we thank you for these three that we have just mentioned. We are thankful, Lord, that uh, Melissa's procedure went well. Uh, there were no real issues, and Father, she is on her way to recovery, continue uh, to bring healing. Uh, thankful, Lord, that Sarah is able to be back with us, as well as Dorothea today. We thank you, Father, that you have uh, helped them uh, through uh, knee and hip surgeries, and know that they, too, are on their way to recover. There's more work to be done, um, but Father, they are far from what they were just a few weeks ago. And so we praise you for that. Uh, Lord, we sometimes we forget uh, to praise you when you answer prayer, uh, when you uh, heal, and when you bring recovery, and you strengthen uh, us in our times of weakness. So Father, this morning we thank you uh, for touching the bodies of these three ladies. Father, there are many others on our list, uh, and we continue to pray for each one. Uh, Father, not every one uh, has been touched with healing, but we pray, Lord, as uh, Paul has stated, uh, that your grace might be sufficient. We are thankful today for the wonderful morning that you've given to us, it's always a great time to be able to come apart from the world. Uh, and we do ask that, Father, we might be able to leave our thoughts, our concerns, uh, our pains, our distractions, leave those things, Lord, outside the walls of this building. And for the next few moments, Lord, you might fill us with your spirit and fill our minds and help us to be attentive to all the things that you have to say. Father, speak to us. If 
Father, we want to hear your voice. We want to hear from your word. We want to know what you want for us to do. So challenge us. Father, talk to us. And help us, Lord, to have ears to hear in order that we, Father, might take these words of yours and allow them to change us and transform us into the image of your Son. Father, we thank you that you have redeemed us by your blood. As we've been reminded in this song, Lord, it's only through Jesus that our sins have been forgiven. It's only through Jesus, Lord, that we have been bought with a price, the price of the blood of Jesus. And so we thank you this morning, Lord, and we are grateful that you have given us that great salvation. And forgive us for taking oftentimes that new life for granted. But Father, we are new creations. We are brand new. And Father, we want for you to change us from the inside out. Help us in our studies in the book of Romans, this great and wonderful letter. Father, it has so much to say, so help us to listen. And again, for the time you've given us this morning, we want to say thank you. Thank you once again for allowing us to be able to set apart this day for you. And I pray that it would be that, that, Father, we might see you through the course of this day. You are a great and wonderful God. We've come today to see Jesus and all of his wonder and to see you, Father, in all your power and strength. So we come to you through your Son and in the power of your Spirit and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your hymn books and turn with me to hymn number 401, When Peace Like a River. Hymns this morning, both our hymns this morning are to do with rivers. We'll see what, how that comes out in the message this morning. <laughs>
wife have a junior church. And uh, if you're here this morning, and we welcome all the children from kindergarten through sixth grade to be involved in that. If you're here this morning and don't know where to be or where you should be, uh, Sarah English, our keenest, is going to be back at the door to give you directions. So we welcome all the children from grade kindergarten through sixth to be involved with our junior church. Now, if you will, turn with me to hymn number 397, and then we'll stand to sing that, and then when we're through singing, then junior church will be dismissed. So if you stand with me, 397. <coughs> Well, we are uh, going to continue this morning our study in the book of Romans. And I said last time that Paul, uh, what he often does in his letters, is he begins with doctrine and then he moves into the practical section. He tells us what we need to believe 
and then says, and this then is how you should live. And I suppose there is nothing more practical than how do we treat one another? It's all about relationships. You do know, however, that there are some people who love you, but there are some people who really don't like you at all. And you also know that there are a lot of people you love, and there are a lot of people who you really don't like very much. And so Paul deals with this. He tells us how we should live and treat our friends, but how do we treat our foes? How do we treat our enemies? So turn, if you would, please, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We now enter into Paul's practical section. And Paul begins in Romans chapter 12, in verse 1, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... Now let's just stop there for a moment. Paul has just written 11 chapters. Therefore, when you see that word therefore, there's a transition that is about to take place. Therefore, in view of God's mercies, in other words, in view of all that I just said, in the first 11 chapters, I urge you, I plead with you. Back in chapter 3, the Bible says we have all sinned and we've fallen short of God's glory. That there is no one righteous, not even one. Therefore, in view of the fact that you have fallen under sin and you are not what God intended for you to be, In chapter 5, even in that state of sinfulness, Jesus died for you. And God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died. Now in view of that, in view of God's mercy, Paul says, I urge you. And then we come to chapter 8. And in chapter 8, it speaks of there being no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those, according to chapter 10, who have believed in him and have become Christians, they are eternally secure. That nothing can separate us who are children of God's from God's love. In view of all of this, the mercy of God we being under sin, but Jesus dying for us while we're in that state and now putting our faith in Christ, we are eternal, eternally secure in view of all of that. Therefore, I urge you. It is interesting how Paul ends the doctrinal section after he says all that I just said about salvation, 
that is by grace and through faith in view of the mercy of God. Notice how Paul ends chapter 11, this doctrinal section. And I want to invite you to join me in reading this great doxology. This is the doxology that ends this, this doctrinal section. Look at chapter 11. And I would invite you to look on the screen behind me so that we can read it together uh, without looking at different translations. But let's read this together, this, doc, this doxology. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has been given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Therefore, therefore, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercy of God. And now what he will do is explain how we live with one another. How we should treat one another. Whether you are my friend or my foe. Paul says there's a certain way I need to treat you. And whether I am your friend or your foe, there's a certain way you should treat me. It doesn't get any more practical than this. It's all about relationships. And Paul very wisely starts with our relationship with God. Because apart from our relationship with God and the power He gives to us and the strength and the abilities, it's going to be hard living with each other. Uh, you may have heard it said, to live above with saints we love Oh, that will be glory. To live below with saints we know. Well, that's another story. Yes, it's true. We will live throughout all eternity with one another. But there are times here on earth that it's hard to live with people. So let's see what Paul has to say. First of all, he starts with a relationship with God himself. And that's the first place you need to start. Because we need God's strength in order to live with others. So look at verses 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as, as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We're called upon to be living sacrifices which is really a life dedicated and committed to God. In contrast to a dead animal sacrifice, God is not asking us to crawl up on the altar and die. God is 
calling us to jump off the altar and start living for him. And start living for him. You know, the heathen, they offered their sacrifices. The pagans, they offered their sacrifices on the altar. Why did they do that? In order to obtain mercy from their gods. We as Christians, that order is reversed. We have received mercy, therefore we go to work. You see, salvation is by grace and through faith. We are saved by God's grace. We are saved by His mercy. But we have been created in Christ Jesus as His workmanship to go to work. We don't work in order to obtain God's mercy. We receive God's mercy by grace and then we go to work. So, Paul says, now that we have received the mercy of God, in view of that, in view of all that God has done for us in chapters 1 through 11, saved us by His grace, keeps us by that grace, nothing can separate us from His love. Now, in view of that mercy, offer yourselves to God as living sacrifices. In view of God's mercy, having received God's mercy, now offer yourself. And this, he says, is worship. You know, we often think worship just is done on Sunday morning. We call this a worship service, and we have come here to worship. But this isn't all there is to worship. I love what um, Eugene Peterson, in his translation called The Message, some of you probably have that translation. Um, this is what Romans 12.1 says in the message. So here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping. You're eating. You're going to work. You're walking around. And place it before God as an offering. Place everything you do. Before God as an offering. Because every day we should be worshiping God. Not just on Sunday mornings, but in everything you do. At your place of work, at your school, in your home. And this is the rational, this is a reasonable response to a grateful and thankful heart as we respond to God's love and mercy and grace. When we think about all that God has done for us, Paul says it ought to be our response, that is reasonable, to give ourselves over wholly to God. And he doesn't stop there. He moves on to verse 2. He says this dedicated and devoted life to God, as you become that living sacrifice and you offer your, yourself to him, that dedicated and devoted life also becomes a transformed life. He goes on to say, don't be conformed by the world. Someone uh, said, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. All the corruption and evil we see, don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed. 
Now we looked at this word in our previous series. Remember, change from the inside out? It's the word metamorphosis. It's the change of a, 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 a um, caterpillar to a butterfly, from a tadpole to a frog. There's a huge change that takes place. And we, having been redeemed by the power of God, the Bible says we have been transformed. This word transformed is used elsewhere. Uh, actually, it's back in um, Matthew chapter 17, where it speaks of the great uh, transfiguration of Jesus. Remember when Jesus, he decided to take the uh, inner circle, Peter, James, and John, up into the mount. And um, there uh, the disciples, well, I suppose it was because the disciples were a little bit discouraged at this time. Uh, uh, because Jesus has just been talking about his suffering, his death. And so the disciples needed a little bit of, of uplifting, a little bit of encouragement. Uh, so Jesus pulls aside Peter, James, and John, and they walk up this Mount of Transfiguration. And there the Bible says this about Jesus. It says that uh, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. He was transfigured. Same word we have here, transformed. Jesus was changed. They looked at Jesus in this glorified body. We are to be transformed. Not to be conformed to the image of the world. Not to be squeezed into its mold. But be, to be changed from the inside out. Our actions, our behavior, our speech, our thinking should be different now. That we have become children of God's. This is not a single event. This is a process. We're all in this process of sanctification, of becoming more and more and more like Jesus himself. Now, having given ourselves over to God as living sacrifices, now he speaks about relations this way. That was the vertical, now the horizontal. And he starts by dealing with our relationships with one another. How do we re relate to those who are in the body of Christ? Christians, those who have been transformed. Not always easy. Not always easy. So look at verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members, they do not all have the same function, so in Christ we Though many, we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophecy, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. 
And if it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Now you see from the closing of what I just read, the context is that of spiritual gifts. The context is spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is a special ministry which God selects and chooses to give to Christians when they come into the family of God. God gives us abilities and enables us to function within the church. It's God's choice. He chooses what we do. And what Paul does here is he, he likens Christians to the human body. Uh, there are many members. You know, we have feet, and legs, and hands, and organs, and arms, and eyes, and ears. Many members of the human body, but they all f- have to function correctly in order to be healthy. But, and we can only speculate, but I suppose that some in the church in Rome who, let's say, for example, had the gift of prophecy, they would look down upon those who were only given the gift of serving. So here is one who is in public. Everyone sees this wonderful gift, and he looks down upon those who are stuck in the kitchen. Well, you know what Paul says? Paul says, you know what? You didn't even choose that gift. I gave you that gift. And every gift is equal. And every gift has to be used in order for the church to be healthy. But again, I speculate that those, let's say, with the gift of teaching, they felt a little superior to those who may not have been in the public spotlight. Those who did the janitorial duties the teachers will look down at. And they had this attitude of of pride and self-righteousness that we are far better than these. And Paul is trying to correct that problem that every gift is a gift from God. That's why they're called graces, because they're freely given. How can someone boast about this gift when God gave them that? You know what? We have nothing in this world to boast about. God has made us as we are. We have nothing to boast about, let alone the gifts that God has given to us within the church. For us to say that I am better than someone else, that's what Paul is trying to correct, this this whole idea of pride, of self-righteousness. But apparently this is what was taking place, this attitude of superiority to those who they felt were not quite in the same ballpark as they were. I heard an interesting story about a football team, and this uh, football team, they had a high school, uh, it was a high school team, and it was a, uh, really a championship, championship team, but they had a 
quarterback who obviously was a gifted quarterback, very, very gifted. And um, he was interviewed by the newspaper one day, a local newspaper, and he was bragging about himself, how good he was and how he was going to lead this team on to the championship. Well, the team members, as you can imagine, uh, they resented that. They were hurt by that. And so they came up with a plan. What they decided to do, well, let me explain the, the, the next game. The next game, the team comes on the field, and, and the whole team waited until they got far enough ahead so that they knew they weren't going to lose the game. And then they put their plan into effect. And they, uh, the, 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 the center hiked the ball, the quarterback, he housed the ball, and all of his teammates stand up and cross their arms. Imagine what happened to the quarterback. <laughs> well, he learned his lesson. He learned his lesson. You see, the Bible says that the church, we're on the same team. There's no one who's better than another. There's no one who is superior to another. And so Paul's words are these in verse 3. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. The word think is used twice because then he goes on to say, think about yourself with sober judgment. Do this self-evaluation. Look in the mirror and see who you really are. And you know, you discover when you look in the mirror, you know, you're not all that. You know, without God, the Bible says we're really, we're nothing at all. Without God, we're nothing at all. Paul says himself, he says, it's only by God's grace that I am who I am. And that's true for all of us. It's only by God's grace we are who we are and we do what we do. It's by the grace of God. So we need to be honest in our evaluation of ourselves. That's what Paul is saying. Be honest. Stop tooting your own horn. Stop thinking that somehow you're the king of the world. Stop elevating yourself above others. And we spoke in the last sermon series about humility. Humility. Boy, humility would go a long way in relationships if we could just grab a hold of that. To be humble as Jesus is humble. A man said this, he said to himself, every man, let me wait till we get there. John, are we there? I'm, I just skipped over, I think, slide eight. I got, we kind of have to coordinate a little bit. Go to the next one. I went on, there it is. To himself, now listen to this quote, to himself, every man is in a sense the most important person in the world. And he always needs much grace to see what other people are. In a sense, I'm the most important person in my world. In a sense, you're the most important person in your world. And it takes a lot of grace. Paul says, in view of God's mercy. See, in view of God's mercy, stop thinking higher of yourselves than others. All right. Paul, how do we deal then with those who we don't even like? Or they don't even like us? Well, Paul goes on to say, look at verse 17. 
Paul says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what do you do when someone wrongs you? Someone who doesn't even like you, they do something wrong. Whether it be slander or they lie about you or they spread rumors. How do we respond when we have been wronged? Well, Paul says in the text I just read, first of all, don't follow your instincts. Don't follow your instincts. Because instinctively, (laughs) we want to get even. That's our natural reaction. We want at that point to forget New Testament and we're going back to the old. Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. See, that's what comes natural. It comes natural for us to be vindictive, to get even. Paul says, first of all, don't follow those instincts. Secondly, put yourself in their shoes. I want you to look at verse 17 once again. This is a sentence that I don't know that I've really saw before. As much as I've read, I'm sure, through verse 17. But it says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Which one commentator said, put yourself in their shoes. You know, it's easy for us to judge someone about something that we've never dealt with. It's very easy to stand back and judge someone for what they've done when we've never been there. We certainly are not condoning you know, anyone to do evil or something sinful. But sometimes you do need to look through their eyes in order to get their perspective. That's why it says, do what is right in the eyes of everyone, not just your own, but also in the eyes of that other person. Walk a mile in a person's shoes and then see what you think. The third thing Paul says is seek peace. Seek peace. You know, I do like, he goes on to say, as far as it depends on you. Because you know as well as I do that there are people who just don't want peace. They, will, they don't want to deal with it. There's no forgiveness at all. As far as it depends on you, he says, seek peace. If it is possible... It's not always possible, but as far as it depends on you, and I think what this verse also says is that you can't just walk away and ignore the situation. 
We often like to do that when we're wrong. Just, we'll just avoid it. We'll just forget it. No, this seems to say you need to move and do something about it if it's possible. If it's possible. Not always possible. But if it's possible, try to work things out. Someone said, give away what you want to have. So if you want to have peace in your life, then give it away. Fourthly, and we all know this is coming, <laughs> leave it to God. <laughs> God says, I will repay. You know, God can do a better job than you can in situations such as that one. God does always know best. God does always know best. And we do know as well that a day of judgment is coming for all of mankind when God will right all wrongs. We know that. We just want things done now. And sometimes God doesn't always do things now. Sometimes God says, we're going to wait on this one. Now, if you do want to repay, notice what Paul says. This is the fifth thing we read in verse 21. If you want to repay, then repay good for evil. Don't repay evil for evil. But if you want to repay something, then repay good for evil. That's what Paul says in verse 21. We might say killing them with kindness. You've heard that expression, right? Killing them with kindness. And Paul uses the illustration. If your enemy, if he's hungry, then feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. That's repaying overcoming evil with good. And I think the idea there in 21 as well, overcoming evil, is don't allow for that person's bad attitude to be contagious, and you now have that bad attitude. Don't allow that person's grudge to overcome you where you become bitter. That's easy to do. That's very easy to do. So we say to ourselves, my word, come on, Paul, how in the world does this happen? How in the world can I not at times feel superior? How do I look more highly at others than I even look at myself? How, how do I, Paul, when I have truly been wronged by someone, how, how do I overcome that? How do I deal with that? Well, I think that's why Paul begins with our relationship with God this way. And we're not talking here about salvation. That's been taken care of in, verse, in chapters 1 through 11. We're dealing now with abiding in Christ and living and being devoted completely to God. Offering ourselves as living sacrifices. We need to develop that relationship this way. Again, not salvation, that's behind us. But it still takes that daily offering before God. God, today I'm going to live for you. I'm going to offer myself to you. I'm going to devote myself to you when I go to work this morning. It's having that relationship with God throughout the day that gives us then the ability and the strength to be able to do what Paul has just said. To think 
about others being more important than ourselves. Even over verse 10, it says, honor one another above yourself. To not seek revenge when wrong. To turn it all over to God. Allowing God to deal with a situation. To desire peace instead of pain for that person who has wronged me. It says we offer ourselves as living sacrifices in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. You see, God has done this for me. This is how God has treated me. Now, how do I treat others? I treat others as God has treated me. In view of God's mercy. Well, how did God treat us? Well, we just spoke about God's love for us. When we were his enemy, he loved us and sent Jesus to die for us in our sins. That's how God treated us. God forgave us of all of our evil, and he turned away his wrath. That's how God treated us. God brought us into his family. He calls us his child. He promises to hold us in the palm of his hand until the day of Jesus Christ. That's how God treats us. He loves us. It says that nothing can separate you from my love. Now, he says, in view of my mercy, in view of what I have done for you, in view of the fact that I have treated you in this way, now you go and you treat others as I have treated you. But first, offer yourself a living sacrifice. Devote yourself to me. Commit yourself to me. Because without my strength and my power, you'll never be able to go out and live among people the way I intend for you to live. So the first step is found right here in verse 1. Therefore, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so, Father, as we pause before you this morning, we once again are thankful. We are thankful for the instructions that are found in the Word of God. Father, your Word is not always easy, especially when it relates to relationships. But Father, you have asked us, you have urged us, you have pleaded with us to live and treat others the way you have treated us. So give us your strength to be able to go from this place and live according to what you have instructed. In Jesus' name, amen. Only one life to offer, Jesus, my Lord and King. Page 382, hymn number 382. I didn't say, oh, that was a little bit late, Cam. <laughs> All right, let's stand, page 382. Only one life to offer, Jesus, my Lord and King. Only one tongue to praise thee, and of thy mercy sing. Let's sing this together.
only one life to offer, Jesus my Lord and King. Less glory yielded fully to thee. Only this hour is mine, Lord. May it be used for thee. May every passing moment count for eternity. Souls all about are dying. thank you again for your word, and I ask that it would change us, change us from the inside out, change us, Lord, because we have been transformed. Father, we thank you again for relationships, and help us, Lord, to seek peace. Help us, Lord, to seek and not seek revenge. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.